0: Deuteronomy chapter number 32. Uh, we're going to be all over this chapter, but I just want to read the first four verses, and then we'll open in a word of prayer. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 1, "...Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass." Because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. Now notice verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. I want to read that again. He, speaking of the Lord, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Let's pray together this evening. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time that You've permitted us to have. Now, Lord, we've come together to hear Your Word, to meet with You in the power of Your presence in the Holy Spirit. Not i ask, Father, that Your Holy Spirit would have liberty tonight to move and to speak in hearts. God, I need the unction and power to preach My flesh fails me, Lord. I don't even want to try to rely on my flesh. But I just want God to hide behind the shadow of your cross. And Lord, for people to see only Christ, Him crucified and lifted up, magnified this evening. Father, I pray if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, you'd convict them. One that's discouraged, you'd uplift them. Lord, one that's haughty, that they'd be abased. But whatever the need is, oh God, you know what the need is. I'd ask that you'd meet it. In all of your glory, and all of your grace, Lord, we'd ask that you'd meet it in such a way that give us occasion to give you the praise that's due your name. We'd ask all of these things in an effectual name, and in a powerful name, in a name that's above every name. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read here in Deuteronomy chapter number 32, I've given a name uh, to this sermon that I hope will help you to remember it. We made special note of verse number four. Now, if you've got a Schofield Bible, and I'm sure many other Bibles have little titles under a chapter uh, name, you'll see that this is the song of Moses. Now, Moses has faithfully led the children of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness, and he's made his mistakes, as we all have, and uh, he's about to uh, end the ministry that God has given him on this earth. And uh, they're standing at the crest of the promised land. Moses will not be allowed to go in because he was disobedient to the Lord. Joshua will lead the children of Israel in. And so Moses, as many of the leaders did in the nation of Israel, begins to give a song, a testimony, a word of praise for what God has done and for who God is. And so you'll see that it's titled, The Song of Moses. There's a lot of fascinating things in this chapter. It's well worth your time to sit down and prayerfully and diligently read the whole chapter. But as you read this, uh, one thing that jumped out to me, and you may not take note of it, but I notice as I read this chapter that in seven separate verses, a total of eight times, the title of the rock is given. And I'd like to just take a few moments and preach to you and take a walk through Moses' rock garden. You see, if you were to read in First Corinthians chapter number 10, you're given a little information about who this God is that's spoken of. We see in verse 4 that God is called the Rock. It says, He is the Rock. And I like that title. I've always been partial to that divine title of God. The rock speaks of faithfulness. It speaks of dependability. It speaks of sovereignness. It speaks of His everlasting nature, that He's the Ancient of Days, that none can unseat Him from His throne. I like that title. And we're well familiar with it. We've probably sang many times, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And as you read this passage, you'll find that the title of the rock given to God is given a Special emphasis. Well, as we read in First Corinthians chapter 10, we're told who this rock is. That name God is one thing. Everybody has a God, quote unquote. I mean, the Muslims have a God. Uh, the Buddhists have a God. The Hindus have 280 million of them. And you could go on down the line. But the Bible distinguishes who this rock is, who the true God is. And in First Corinthians 10 and verse 1, Paul, writing about the time that the children of Israel spent in the wilderness, says... Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You'll find as you study the journeys of the children of Israel that everywhere they went there was a rock. Everywhere they went there was a place of provision and a place of shelter. And God always met the needs through this rock. Can I tell you that the thing that you need in your life tonight is the person of Jesus Christ? You say, preacher, I'm already saved. Hey, I know a lot of Christians trying to live the Christian life without Christ. I know a lot of Christians that are saved, blood washed, born again, but they try to live in the strength of their flesh day by day. I believe there's several exhortations given to us in this passage, and I just want to take each of these seven instances and give them to you very quickly. We note in verse number four that God, that Christ is the dependable rock. Look at it with me again. It says he is the rock. We know that this is speaking of Christ. And notice it says his work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Boy, well, aren't you thankful tonight that we don't have to worry about God messing up? Aren't you thankful tonight that when you cradle your life in the everlasting arms of the God of heaven, you don't have to be concerned at him botching the ordeal? You know, there's some that live as though God is just getting ready to make his first mistake. You know that there's some that live as though God's going to mess up and some that pray and they seek the will of God. But when faced with the will of God, they recall and they say, no, that's not for me. Can I encourage you tonight? Can I tell you that when God makes his will known for you, that that is a straight path. That is solid footing. That is the very divine providential purpose of an almighty God for your life. And you need not worry about placing it in his hands. I'm thankful that God's never failed me before. I'm thankful that God didn't fail me today, but I'm so thankful he ain't going to fail me tomorrow. I'm thankful that I don't have to worry about God letting me down. Boy, I tell you, I'd be a sorry God. Can I tell you that tonight? I mean, if it was me, my job to be God, I mean, you'd all be in a mess. Amen. I would have written everybody off, probably myself included, if I was God, because the truth is I fail people on a daily basis. I mean, I want to be a faithful Christian. I thought about it as we sang that. Uh, true and faithful. Uh, serving and trusting Him every day in this pilgrimage of life that we live in. And I wish I could say that this preacher has always been faithful to God. But I'd have to lie to you to tell you that tonight. But can I tell you that He's the dependable rock that's always been faithful to me? Never once has He let me down. Never once has one of His promises failed. And can I tell you that the rock of ages will keep you in the storm, in the trial, and the discouragement that's going to come your way. He's a dependable God. You can put your faith in Him. Look with me at verse number 8. I like what it says here. And keep in mind, this is recounting the history of the nation of Israel uh, with their God, Jehovah. And it says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is His people. Boy, that's a beautiful phrase. His portion is His people. That's what He loves. That's what He cares for. He he spoke this world into existence, neighbor. He could speak another one in if He wanted to. Gold doesn't mean a thing to Him. He paves with it, amen? That's not what interests God. His people are what tugs at the heartstrings of the Almighty Heart. Look at what it says. It says, uh, for the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God in him. He made him ride in the on the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty. Rock, butter, and kine, and milk of a sheep, and with fat of lambs, uh, it says, and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. Look at verse number 13 again. It says, and he made him to suck honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock. Can I say to you that God is the dependable rock? But can I tell you that God is the defending rock? It's not just that He's faithful in His promises, but it's that He cares about you and He cares about me. I'm reminded of what David said. David had lived his life. He had seen a lot of things. He had experienced a lot of things. He had done a lot of things. David had uh, hidden in the cave of Adilam. He had sat on the throne of Israel. He had been adored by the nation. He had been marched out in shame. David says at the end of his life, I've seen a lot of things. He said, I once was young. Now I'm old. He says, yet have I never seen the righteous for. Forsaken, nor His seed-begging bread. Can I tell you that God, if you'll follow Him, if you'll obey His will, He can make you to ride on the high places of the earth. He can give you uh, milk and fat to eat. He can give you honey out of the rock. He can provide your everyday sustenance if we'll only live the life of faith. You say, preacher, I thought it wasn't about what I do, it's about what He does, and that's very true. But you rob yourself of the greatest blessings of God when you get yourself out of the will of God. Uh, the Bible says, "Never seen the righteous forsaken." Doesn't say, "Never seen the saved forsaken." Now, I don't believe God's ever going to forsake the saved uh, either. But I, I'll say this: I, I've seen Christians fall on hard times when they were out of the will of God. Haven't you? But I've never seen one that was really doing their best to serve the Lord. I've never seen one that had turned their life over to Him. I'd never seen one that was a absolute uh, God-loving, serving Christ-serving, faithful Christian that God allowed to go hungry never once. He's always met the needs. He always will meet the needs. I don't know if you realize this how how many of you uh, have had children in your life? I'm sure most of you had. Whose job was it to feed them? Yours. Whose job was it to clothe them? Yours. Whose job was it to get them the medical treatment that they needed? Yours. You know why? They belong to you. You get me? So it's your responsibility Now, whose child am I? (laughs) I've got some earthly parents. They've done an awful good job taking care of me, probably got me more than I even needed growing up. But can I tell you that I've got a heavenly father? I'm part of a bigger family. I'm part of a sweeter association. Can I tell you that it is God's responsibility to meet the needs of his children? Now, you go storming out of his house, maybe he won't be able to. But I'll say this, my daddy put rules on me growing up and he'd always say this, as long as you slide your feet under my table, you know, as long as I slide my feet under God's table, he meets every single need that I've ever had. You say, preacher, are you telling me if someone's out of the will of God, God doesn't watch over him? No, he watches over him. But sometimes he has to let him suffer to draw him back close to himself. But when we live for God, when we give him our everything, when we esteem him higher than others, higher than our own worldly lusts, higher than the desires of our own flesh, when we get our lives in tune with him and follow him, I promise you he'll meet every need that you have. Imagine them walking through the wilderness for 40 years, but the Bible tells us that their shoes didn't wax old. The Bible tells us that some of us can't make it 40 days without that happening. Amen. (laughs) But they went, they went 40 years and God made sure their, old, their clothes didn't wax old, their shoes didn't wax old. When they needed food, He fed them with manna from heaven. I'll tell you how good God is. When they started griping about the manna, He gave them the quail. That's how good God is. God, God will always meet our needs, but you know, sometimes He'll even meet our wants. Ain't God good to us? You know why? He's the defending rock. He takes care of His children. He sees to the needs of His people. Why? Because the Lord's portion is His people. That's where His heart is, where the apple of His eye. You say, that's Israel, preacher. And yeah, there's a dispensational application to Israel. There's no question about that. But but I promise you something, neighbor, just as God loves the children of Israel, I promise you that those of us that the Bible tells us are bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh and part of His bride and part of His body, He has a great concern and care for us. As well, we read this passage and we see he's the dependable rock. He's the defending rock. But look at verse 15. This is sad. The Bible says, but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou uh, art, art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. When he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. It's sad to say, but we see that Christ is the dependable rock. We see that Christ is the defending rock. But sadly, we see in the life of the children of Israel and probably in our life many times, too, that he's the disregarded rock as well. The Bible says they lightly esteemed the God of their salvation. Now, we're going to see here in a moment where it progresses even farther. But can I tell you where it starts? Now, listen carefully. When we lose our respect for the Lord... Now listen to me tonight. Most of us have a lot more respect for everything else in the world than we do for the Lord God of heaven. We care more what other people think than we care what God thinks. We care more what other people are going to do for us than we care what God's going to do for us. It's not that we hate God. It's not that we've cast him off, at least not yet. But many of us, we've grown to a place where we lightly esteem him. Most of us would go to the ends of the world to do things for the world. You hear me? Most of us will move heaven and earth to do something for the lost, but we won't move a finger to do something for the God of heaven. Most of us will absolutely go to the end of the world to keep the world happy, but we won't do a thing to please God. I know, I knew he'd get quiet at this point. That's okay. (laughs) Because the truth of the matter is, we get to a place where we just disregard him. It's not that we renounce him, neighbor. We should get to the point where he doesn't quite matter as much as anything else, when he ought to matter more than everything else. Gets to the point where he matters less than our jobs. He matters less than our houses. He matters less than our social life. He matters less than our flesh and our desires. He matters less than even our physical well-being. And let me tell you something. The Bible says that we're his. It's in him that we live and breathe and move and have our being. And far be it from us to get to a place where we just disregard him as though he's some kind of distant acquaintance. Disregard him as though his wishes and desires are the least important thing. The Bible says the children of Israel did that. That's what that name Jeshurun means. It's a title for the children of Israel. And you and I were guilty of that. Just as God's people in the Old Testament and God's physical people were guilty of it, you and I, as God's spiritual people, were just as guilty of it. Oh, we'll do anything in the world. Some of us, neighbor, I, I, I mean, we'll, we'll drive to the ends of the earth to make it to a, to, to a UT ball game to watch them play. We'll go to the ends of the earth to get out and get on the lake and, and, and fishing. We'll go to the ends of the earth to get out on the golf course. We'll go to the ends of the earth to do anything in the world that we want to do. But when it comes to doing something God wants us to do, we don't have time for Him. You say, oh, preacher, you're, I'm not that guilty of that. It's not that I don't love God. No, I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm saying you've disregarded him. You've lightly esteemed him. What God wants has become the least important thing in a lot of our lives. And then we wonder why we're miserable. I'd say that he's the disregarded rock. But look with me at verse number 17. The Bible says they sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Look what it says. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. We see that he's the disregarded rock, but I'd say he's the deserted rock for a lot of people. A lot of people just plumb give up, you know it. You can think of people. I can think of people. And I'm not up here to name names or talk about people. That's not what I'm here for. I'm just saying, most of you can probably picture someone in your mind that at one time was serving God, and now they're completely out. I can think of people like that. And the real danger, neighbor, is this. And I know who I'm preaching to. This is our Wednesday night crowd. This is our home folk. I get that. I understand that. But you're in just as big a danger of it as they were before they got to that place. Because, neighbor, none of us are above it. But by the grace of God go I. I mean, this preacher could wind up uh, being out in a minute, living in the world, doing the things of the world, forsaking God, give up on Him. I'm thankful He won't forsake me, but I'm also mindful of the fact that it could happen to me like it happens to a number of people. You say, how did that happen? It started with lightly esteeming. It. And then it went long where it just got plumb out. People say, well, somebody hurt my feelings. Well, boo hoo. I mean, really. If somebody hurts our feelings at work, we won't quit. If somebody hurts our feelings. I, I've been praying about, me and Bill been talking about, I've been, I've been praying about preaching a sermon on body aches. <laughs> you know, we're, we're the body of Christ. You realize that? Yeah, amen. How many of you ever sprained your ankle before? Lift your hand up. Did you cut your leg off when that happened? Or did you do what you could to restore that ankle? Come on now. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself also, lest thou also be tempted. Yeah. If somebody hurts our feelings, we won't cut them off. We won't do that to our physical body, but we'll try to do that to the Lord's body. I mean, neighbor, I, I just think we've gotten to a place where, where we're looking for excuses to not serve God. And again, I, I'm not. you say, preacher, this is hard. We're the good crowd. We're the Wednesday night crowd. I'm aware of that. Call it preventive medicine if you want to. But we need to be very vigilant because it don't take much, neighbor. It don't take much to get out of the will of God and get plumb out on God. We say he's the disregarded rock. We see he's the deserted rock. But I'm thankful for this. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, I will heap mischiefs upon them. Now, this is the Lord speaking about the nation of Israel. He says, I will heap mischiefs upon them. I will spin mine arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword without and terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. I said I would scatter them into the corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, unless they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? Except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up. Now let me explain the context of what the Lord's saying here through Moses. Moses is pinning down the words of God here. And what God is saying is this. He's hearkening back to verses uh, 8 through uh, 15. And what he's saying is he's talking about how they got out in rebellion. And you can read more of it there uh, in a few verses before we started. In Old oh, verses 19 through 22, kind of in that range, you can read and see what God's saying. What he's essentially saying is this. Because they rebelled against me, I gave them up. I allowed them to be scattered. I allowed them to be persecuted. I allowed the serpents in, the beasts in, the sword in, the terror in, the fear in. And I allowed this to happen in their life. And you know what he says? He basically pulls it back and he asks this question to the nation of Israel. He said, how could one chase a thousand or two chase ten thousand unless their rock had given them up? You know what he's saying? He's saying, how is it that these things could be happening if it wasn't for the fact that God is trying to get a hold of them? Can I say to you that He's the dependable rock? He never fails. He's the defending rock. He always fulfills. He's the disregarded rock uh, that has been lightly esteemed. He's the deserted rock that's been forsaken. But He is the driving rock that follows. (laughs) When we get out of the will of God, I'm thankful the Lord will chase us into a whale's belly if He has to. And what he's saying is, I'm trying to get the nation of Israel's attention. I'm trying to get them to understand that I love them, that I'm trying to work in their life. And you know what he says? He said, how is it that they un- did not understand this? How is it that they understood not? Don't you know sometimes God scratches his head and says, how do they not get it yet? You ever notice? I, I'll share something with, with from, from me. Maybe you can identify with this. Maybe you can't. But I've found when I faithfully give to the Lord, that God faithfully blesses me. And I'm not talking about this name it and claim it, sowing a seed mess. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting uh, getting charlotted out of uh, your tithe that ought to go to your local church and sending off some televangelist to build him a mansion. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's blessing when we honor God in our giving. But I found when I don't give to the Lord, I found sometimes my bills seem to get a little bigger. And my paychecks seem to get a little shorter. Seems to be a few more emergencies fiscally uh, in my time. You know what God's doing? He's trying to teach me that I'll get a lot farther ahead if I'll honor him than if I honor myself. That's what God's trying to teach me. And I see people sometimes in in life, and, and I point out giving because most of us can relate to it. Most of us have seen that happen in our life if we give to the Lord. There's been times when we've not been faithful and we've seen that. But you go down the line, neighbor, I can see people that have gotten out of the will of God, and you can see their life has gone to shambles. And you step back and you go, how do they not get it yet? You see people that get out of church and out of the will of God and their marriages start to fall apart. And you say, how do they not see what's causing this in their life? But then I have to look back at times in my life when I was out of the will of God. And when God was hemming up my way and putting my hedges around me and God was making things difficult and trying to get my attention. And I realized that a lot of times I wasn't aware of it. I just plunged ahead the energy of my flesh, I just let them tires spin that were in the ditch. You know what they did? They just spun me deeper and deeper and deeper. Can I tell you tonight that God does that because he loves you? God does that because He knows the only way you're going to be happy is in the very heart and center of His will. God's not doing that because He's petty. God's not doing that to be selfish. God's not doing that to be self-centered. God's doing it to be you-centered. God's doing it because He loves you. God's doing it to get your attention so that you don't spend these years as a tale that is told and look back and realize that you lived your life out of the will of God. We see that he's the driving rock that follows, that draws his people back. Look at verse 31. The Bible says, for their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. I'd say that he is the distinct rock. The Bible says our God is not like their God. Their God is not like our God. Now, if you were again to read the context of this passage, just read a few verses further on, what you would find is you would find that the the context of it is saying the way that he pursues his people and the way that he allows calamities into their life to make them aware of their need of his everyday presence. But I would just like to back up in a broader sense and say that nobody in this world has a God like you've got, like I've got. Boy, I, I tell you, we get, we get so apathetic, and, and listen, you know, people always say, well, you know, if you point a finger, you're pointing three back at yourself. That's why preachers preach like that. You know that, right? But hey, point ten at me. Point twenty at me. Point a hundred at me. Cause I'm as guilty of it as anybody, neighbor. I've taken for granted how good God is to me. I mean, listen, even the religions well, of course, they're all everything but Christianity has been concocted by the, uh, the devices of imagination of wicked hearts. I understand that. But I'm talking about, listen, the God of heaven is better to us than the God that people can concoct from their own minds. Stop and think about that for a moment. I mean, when man sits down and tries to develop a God in his mind, it can't even match the splendor and majesty and magnificence of the true God of heaven. Our God doesn't ask us to strap a bunch of bombs to us and walk into a marketplace. Our God doesn't ask us to go into the mountains somewhere and take a vow of silence. Our God doesn't ask us to cut ourselves and cry out to him. Our God loved us enough to die for us. When we were alienated, when we were enemies of God, when we were sinners, our God loved us enough to die for us. That's remarkable. That's incredible. That's the God that you serve. And you say, preacher, what does that mean to me? Let me say this is what it means. Don't you think we owe him our best? Don't you think we owe him our absolute best? Don't you think we owe him our all? Why? Because he's the distinct rock. He's different. He's unlike anything that man could imagine. He's unlike anything that philosophy could concoct. He's unlike anything that cults could develop. He's the God of heaven and he loves you and he loves me. I'm going to give you a final thing and I'm going to hush. Look with me at verse number 36. The Bible says, For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants when he seeth that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. And he shall say, Where are their gods, their rock, in whom they trusted? which should eat the fat of their sacrifices and drink the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. We see that He is the delivering rock. You see, the context in which the rock is spoken of here is it's saying, what about those false gods that you've served? Let them rise up and help them. Let them rise up and deliver you. But the implication is this, and it goes on to clarify it. God says, I'm the rock that can deliver you. I'm the rock that can take vengeance on the ungodly. I'm the rock that can meet your needs. And I'd say, neighbor, he is the delivering rock that is coming again soon. (laughs) He's the rock of ages, and I'm thankful of it. I'm I'm glad he's the stone that the builders rejected that's become the head of the corner. But I want you to turn with me to the book of Daniel, and I want to read to you another passage concerning this delivering rock, and we'll close with this thought. Turn with me to Daniel chapter number 2. Daniel chapter number 2. Most of you are quite familiar with this passage. It's the uh, vision uh, that Nebuchadnezzar saw and that Daniel interprets. And we're familiar with the four kingdoms that are spoken of. We're familiar with the Babylonian Kingdom, with Nebuchadnezzar as the emperor. We're familiar with the Medo-Persian Empire, with Cyrus the Great and Darius as the co-emperors of that empire. We're familiar with the uh, Grecian Empire, with Alexander the Great, that young man that stormed across and took the world uh, by a storm. We're familiar with that. We're familiar with the Roman Empire that rose to a crushing power. But very few people talk about a fifth empire. The Bible says in verse number 44, and in the days of these kings, now this is speaking prophetically of the coming of our Lord, it says, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, And that it break in pieces the iron and the brass, the clay, the silver and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof is sure. Bible speaks of a stone cut without hands that's cast at that fourth empire that speaks of the uh, one day Roman empire world empire and the Bible says that it hits it in the feet and destroys it to pieces. But I like what the Bible says. The Bible says that that stone then grows and fills up the whole world. Speaks of the coming kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'd say to you, He's coming back. I'd say to you, when He comes back, He's coming back to deliver. I'd say to you, when He comes back, He's not coming back for an election. He's not coming back for a vote. But He's coming back to set up a kingdom as King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lord of glory, crowned with many crowns on His head. That's how He's coming back to deliver this world, to rule this world. We could go into a whole lesson on eschatology, and I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight. But let me just tell you this. He's the God that can deliver and will deliver in the future, but He's the God that delivers us daily. He's the reason you draw breath. He's the reason those eyes open in the morning. He's the reason those legs function. He's the reason that those arms function. He's the reason there's bread on your table. He's the reason there's a roof over your head. He's the God that will deliver, but He's the God that does deliver. And I think we ought to honor Him with our whole beings. I think we ought to give our everything to Him. I think we ought to get off the fence, make our choice, pick our side, and live for Jesus Christ to the best of our ability and to the greatest of His glory.